Why don't you grab a Bible? Uh, Matthew 25 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we are in week five of our uh, series about what does the Bible say about money? Um, so a question for you as we start, have you ever been given a sum of money that someone gave you to use or maybe to like take care of uh, and just to be thinking like how did that go f- for you? Uh, I, I have one memory in my grade 12 year of high school, uh, I'm the youngest and so all three of my sisters had already moved out and, and gone off to university and college and things like that and so my parents um, uh, were going to go on a trip to visit my one sister. Uh, we lived in Ontario and they were going to come to BC and visit her at university and so they said well you're old enough you don't have to come you can stay by yourself right which as like a 17 year old I'm like sweet and they said here is some money at the beginning of the week this money is for you know to buy groceries Uh, they left the car obviously you can use the car and buy gas and I'm not going to tell you how the week went um but, like, that money went fast, right? Because day one, it's like, sweet, mom and dad left me $300 or whatever. I'm going to go to Blockbuster, which existed then, and rent a Nintendo 64 or whatever, right? And I did not use my money wisely or make it last through the whole week. And maybe you have examples like that, right, where your parents give you a sum of money or maybe you uh, have a job and the boss gave you a sum of money to use or things like that. That's essentially the story that we're going to look at today in the Gospel of Matthew. So like I've said, we've been spending the last month talking about money. What does the Bible actually say about money? Trying to clear up some of the confusion uh, uh, on, as followers of Jesus, how do we use our money? Uh, Is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? Do we tithe? Is it 10%? Is it this or is it that? Or prosperity? All those kind of things. Wanting to know, what does the Bible actually say about money? And so this morning, Jesus in Matthew 25 tells a really interesting story about a master and three servants. And essentially, money that is given that the servants then have to figure out what to do with. And it's amazing because at the the beginning of uh, chapter 25, Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he tells a few stories, a few parables. So what Jesus is doing is, what does it look like to live in his kingdom? And how do you and I view money as followers of Jesus living in his kingdom? Uh, Really, that's important because we are already living in his kingdom. If you remember, it's way back in our Corinthian series, we had the whiteboard and we drew, what does, the, what does the kingdom of heaven look like? Well, it's already here, right? The kingdom of heaven began when Jesus came and he uh, lived and died and was raised from the dead. That inaugurated the kingdom. And yet we would ask, well, is his kingdom fully here? Well, no, not yet. That's going to happen when he returns. But you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are in the kingdom now. We're doing life in his kingdom. And so when Jesus says, hey, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like when it pertains to our money, we should listen, right? Because we go, well, okay, this affects me as a follower of Jesus now and how I use my money. So here's what we want to do. I just want to read the story, uh, unpack a little bit of, of the details, and then I have five principles from this story, five principles that should 
shape the way that we view and handle our money as followers of Jesus. So, uh, starting in verse 14, this is the story that Jesus tells. Uh, For it will be like, and so you go, well, what is the kingdom? It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Okay, so here's the setup. You have a master that that obviously is very wealthy because in that day and age, you didn't just go on big trips, right? That's just not a thing unless you're very, very wealthy. And so uh, we were introduced to the main characters, basically. There's a very wealthy master. He's going to go on a trip. So he calls his three servants in, and he gives them each a sum of money, and, and then he goes on his trip. Now, okay, we have to do some work here because uh, you'll notice in the next, um, or, or rather in verse 15, he gives talents. And I have heard this, this passage preached so many times where We use our North American word, talent, so I can twirl a baton or I can kick a soccer ball. And we're like, oh, okay, so God gave me a talent to use. That's not what this parable is about. This parable is about money. It's not about being good at singing. It's not about uh, kicking a soccer ball really well. Uh, A talent in that day and age was a unit of Uh, money, of monetary reckoning. So in the Old Testament, uh, in the days of Israel, uh, a talent was a weight. It was a a weight of measurement, right? A certain weight. It's 75 pounds or something like that, right? And then in Jesus' day, a talent was a unit of monetary reckoning. One talent was 20 years wages as a common laborer. So think about it in our day and age, okay? What, how much would a talent be? One talent, 20 years wages for a laborer. Let's say you made $20 an hour, okay? A talent would be $800,000. So notice, man, this master is wealthy. He gave five talents to one of his servants. That's like $4 million. And then two talents and then one talent. That is a lot of money that this master is entrusting to his servants. And notice that he gives different amounts. Not all servants receive the same amounts, but each according to their ability. And so he gives five to one, and he gives two to another, and he gives one to another. And then we're told he leaves. Okay, so what happens? Verse 16 He who had received the five talents went out at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Okay, so I, I, feel, I feel a little bit of pity for the one servant. I get it. If someone said, hey, Andrew, here's $800,000, <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. So, but notice what happens, right? The first two servants, what do they do? They receive the money immediately. They don't, they don't hesitate. They don't waste time. Immediately they go and they trade. And essentially they double their master's money. But the last servant says, ah, I don't know about this. This is risky. So he digs a hole and he buries it. That's a lot safer. At least I won't lose anything. 
Verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Basically, the master comes back and he says, okay, I've been gone a long time. Let's see what you did. Hey, call the servants in. I gave them, you know, 4 million, 1.6 million, 800,000. Let's see what they did with it while I was gone. Verse 20, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. I, uh, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice both of the, the first two servants, both are commended exactly the same. Let's see what you did. Okay, whoa, you doubled what I gave you. Well done. Notice, though, it's not, it's, it has nothing to do with the amount. He doesn't praise uh, the one servant more because there's more money than the second servant. What is being praised? Faithfulness. Hey, well done. First two servants, exact same praise. You were faithful. Now I'm going to put you in charge of even more. Come, let's be joyous together. Come into the joy of your master. Here's what the third servant says, verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So, so now we discover why did the third servant bury his money? It's because he had a specific view of what his master was like, right? He says, master, I know that you're a hard man. The, the Greek word used there is skleros, and it means harsh, rough, violent, cruel, and merciless. So, so notice, he says, master, I knew that you are a rough, cruel man. I know that you're merciless. He says uh, his description of the master is, well, you reap where you haven't sown and you gathered where you scattered no seed. His view of his master is you exploit the labor of others. You reap where you didn't sow, right? So you steal and you gather where you didn't, where you didn't throw any seed. So his view of his master is this guy's shady, and he does things to get richer and richer. Man, he is a cruel master. So this is what's going through this, the third servant's mind. He's in a lose-lose situation in his mind. Because he goes, if I go out and I succeed with this money, I'm not going to see any of the profit anyways. Because really, my cruel, merciless master is going to share some of the profit with me? No, he won't. And then on the flip side, this servant is thinking, but if I fail with this money... And I come in, he says, what did you do? Well, I tried to trade it and I lost it all. I'm going to feel the master's wrath. So in the third servant's mind, it's better if I just bury it and then I say, hey, I didn't lose any of it. Here's it back in full. I didn't make you any money, but I didn't lose any. 
you would think maybe the master would go, okay, well, at least you didn't lose any. Here's what he says in verse 26. His master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. He just calls him lazy. He says, you, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? It's a question. He's not saying that he actually does that. But he's playing by the servant's own view of him. He says, really? You think that I reap where I don't sow and I gather where I have scattered no seed? Okay, well, if that's true, verse 27, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And then at my coming, I should have received that, that or received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, the master's not happy, right? He goes, really? That was your view? Well, even if, if that was true, if I'm the kind of guy that exploits people and steals from them, you could have at least invested it in a bank at 2.5% interest, and then you would have at least made me a little bit of money. But this master is actually angry, I think, one, because his servant has a completely wrong view of him. And because of this misperception of this amazing master, the, the third servant completely squandered an opportunity. And so the picture is, is that he's thrown out into outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. It's a picture of hell. Now, this is really important. Jesus didn't just tell stories for fun, right? Great story, Jesus. Um, he told stories to reveal what the kingdom was like. And every time he, he tells a parable... Right? There's the story, and then there's a, a, a meaning beneath the story. This is why lots of people were like, we don't understand what you're saying, Jesus. Right? Can you explain the parables to us? So all of Jesus' parables have meanings behind them. Here, here's, here's what this means. The master is Jesus. The master in the story is God. And you and I were the servants. And Jesus has gone away. Right? He, is, he, he lived, he died, he was raised from the dead. After his resurrection, he appeared to a whole bunch of people. And then what happened? In Acts 1, we read that, well, then Jesus ascended into heaven. The master has gone on a long trip. And then he's going to come back one day. And in the meantime, Jesus, the master, has given his followers resources. He's given us finances and the question is, what are we going to do with them? Right? The master's coming back. He's given us finances. What do we do with it? So I think in this parable, there's basically five points that should help shape our view of money. I think this parable reveals five things that are true that we should go, okay, if that's true, then it should change the way that I view my money. So point number one is this. Um, Jesus is coming back soon. Um, the master goes on a trip, right? And it's, it's, we're told that it's a long trip. After a long time, he comes back. But the master's on a trip, and, and, and Jesus is gone. He's ascended into heaven, but he is coming back. And when Jesus comes soon, he's going to settle accounts. 
Now, I have to be really clear because I think there's some misunderstanding here. This does not mean our salvation, right? When Jesus comes back, we have to stand before him and he's going to say, okay, here's all the good things you did. Here's all the bad things. Oh, you didn't do enough good to outweigh the bad. You don't get to come into my kingdom. No, right? So if uh, I've given the hypothetical example before. If you stood before Jesus and he says, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And uh, lots of us go, well, I went to church, and I did this, and I was born into a Christian family, and this and that. None of those answers are the right answer. The right answer is, Jesus, you shouldn't let me into heaven. But because I have placed my faith and my trust in your life, death, and resurrection, I know that I'm welcomed in. Right? So Jesus settling accounts when he returns is not our salvation as followers of Jesus. But he's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? Uh, lots of places, even when we went through Corinthians, it talked about you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you die or when Jesus returns, you will be rewarded for what you do. So again, uh, salvation is not by works at all, but our works matter, right? Ephesians 2, you're saved by grace through faith, and God has prepared good works for you to do. So Jesus is going to return, and he's going to settle accounts with you, and basically you're going to stand before him, and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you live your life? Uh, This is why all throughout scripture we're told, as followers of Jesus, uh, you've got to be ready for when he comes back. Like Luke 12, 40, Jesus says, you also must be ready. You must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Like, be ready. When Jesus returns and he ushers in his kingdom and his fullness, a lot of what we place so much emphasis on is going to matter very, very little. Like, listen, it won't matter what kind of truck you drove when Jesus returns. Yeah, but I had a lift kit. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't. It doesn't matter how many square feet your house was. It, it will not matter when Jesus returns. And so think about that. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. you got to be ready. So even the parable before our parable, the parable of the ten virgins, the whole point of that parable is be ready for when Jesus comes back. Don't fall asleep. But I think lots of us, we're just lulled into sleepiness by all of our wealth and all of our stuff. And honestly, ask yourself, how often do you think, right, Jesus could come back today? Uh, even Paul says this should, this, this should change your thinking. 1 Timothy 6, 7, which we're going to look at in more detail next week. But he says, you, you brought nothing into the world and you cannot take anything out of the world. And yet you and I panic and stress and have anxiety to to have all of this stuff. And Paul's like, do you realize the moment Jesus returns, none of that matters? So let me ask, how often do you think about Jesus' imminent return? Because listen, it's closer now than ever before. And I don't mean, oh, because I've cracked the code and they're sick. No, Just literally, right now, we are closer to the return of Jesus than ever before. Tomorrow, we'll be even closer to the return of Jesus. Like, I can remember um, as a kid, you know, growing up in a Christian home and hearing, you know, that Jesus is going to return. And I I remember not wanting him to return. Because I'm like, 
there's that cute girl in high school that I really like, and I want to ask her out on a date before Jesus returns. And then I remember for years, I was like, i got to get married before Jesus returns. And then, you know, I want to have kids before Jesus returns. And we, we, we just, we just kind of push it off, don't we? And I want to get the big bonus. And I want to go on that trip that I've been planning for three years. And Jesus, don't come back yet because I want to go there. And we do that. Right? Like we just kind of push it aside. And we don't really think about like right in the next five seconds, Jesus could come back. And would we, really, would we really be disappointed? Ah, I didn't get to go to Europe. No, we shouldn't be. We should be, finally, he's back. And the older I get, and some of you, oh, but you look so young. The older I get, I'm like, yeah, I just, just come, Lord Jesus. Man, I'm just weary. I just, I'm so excited for Jesus to return. Do you think about that often? The master's coming back. He could come tomorrow. He could come this afternoon. I think if we thought like that more, it, it would change. Do, do I really need that thing? Do I really need that? Do I really need to spend my money on that? Jesus might come back. Can't take it with me. Uh, point number two. Um, everything we have is given to us by God. Um, everything. Notice the master uh, is the one that gives the servants their talents, their money, and I think this reveals a deeper truth that's shown all throughout Scripture, that God is the one who gives you literally everything. And when you realize it, I think it actually changes your view of money because you go, oh, right, this is, this is not actually mine anyways. I mean, Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And that can be translated, the earth is the Lord's and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell therein. So what belongs to God? The earth and everything in it and everyone who dwells on it. Every, every, he, he made it. It's his. He owns all of it. Um, Job 41, 11, God says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Does God owe anyone anything? No. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. So that's like everything. Um, C.S. Lewis said, every faculty you have your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. Everything, right? We, we, have, we just have to realize that every dollar I have belongs to God. It's actually his money. I'm a steward. I'm the servant. God's given to me whatever it is. Five talents, two talents, one talent, ten talents. God's given to me, but right, it's, it's my master's money. It's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. And so am I going to use it wisely? Right? So your attitude changes when it's not your money, doesn't it? So like some of you, um, whether you uh, work in the financial industry or if you have a, a boss who gives you money to go do things, I think, or you should, you view that money differently. Right? This is my boss's money. I better not mess this up. <laughs> Right? This is my client's money that I'm using to help them. Right? When it's not yours, it changes your view of it. i got to be a good steward of this. So listen, every paycheck you make, every dollar you make, uh, it belongs to God. And I know sometimes we go like, well, I got it about early, and I went on a two-week shift in the oil patch, and I earned it. Yeah, but the fact that you can move your limbs is because God is allowing you to. So you... 
You earned it because God let you earn it. It's his. I think if we could get that into our our, our minds, it would change our view uh, of how we use our money. Right, this is, this is God's. All of it's God's. Uh, I'll give you an example for marriage. Um, when, mo- when my mo- wife and I got married, one of the first things we did is we just said, we're going to make one joint bank account. Uh, one bank account, we both have cards, the same account. Why? Because it's not, oh, you have your money and I have my money and everything is separate. I said, when you say uh, we're going to be one flesh, it includes your finances. And so my wife brought um, school debt into our relationship, and I brought uh, school debt into our relationship. Mine was a little bit less, not that we're keeping track. But, <laughs> but no, at no time was it like, oh, well, you have to pay your debt. That's not mine. Never. Why? That's our debt now, Right? And when I bring a paycheck home, I don't go, well, a- well, actually, Molly, this is my paycheck. You don't get to touch any of this. I earned it. Well, you shouldn't say things like that. It's our paycheck, right? And we combine our, every um, couple that we've done premarital with, it's like the, one of the first things you should do is get a joint bank account. So if you're here and you don't, combine your bank accounts, Right? Why? Because it changes your view of money. It's not mine. It's ours. It's the same thing. Is it God's money or is it my money? It's God's money that he has graciously lent to you. So how are you going to use it? He owns it. It just, it just makes me laugh sometimes that we have all of our money and then we're like, well, okay, God, I'm going to give you a little bit back. I think God is just like, yeah, you realize I own all of it, Right? Right? It, change your mindset. Everything that you have has been given to you by God. Uh, point number three, God gives different amounts to different people. This is really important. It's not, it's not uh, flat across the board. God gives different amounts to different people to steward. So notice in the, in the parable, he doesn't say, okay, to be fair, I'm going to give five talents to everybody. He says, you get five, you get two, you get one. And it's fair because he's the master. He can do what he wants. It's his right to do that. But notice, I want you to notice again, what is judged at the end when the servants settle accounts with the masters? It's not the amount, but it's the faithfulness of the servant. Both the first and second servant are told the exact same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. And the first servant can say, well, but wait, though, I'm giving you back ten. He's only giving you back six. Shouldn't I get more praise? Nope. Same praise. Well done. Why? They were both faithful with what God gave them. So here's a really key principle. Listen, you can be faithful with a million dollars, and you can be faithful with a hundred dollars. And the opposite is true. Listen, you can be really poor and unfaithful with your money. And you can be really rich and unfaithful with your money. It's not the amount that is most important. It's faithfulness. And so what the parable is saying is be faithful with what God has given you. You don't have to look to other people's wealth and then give and compare. The Bible says lots of times, run your race. Right? God has given you a certain amount and he's given you a certain amount. Are you going to be faithful with what he gave you? Well, it's not as much as him. It doesn't matter. 
Like even in John 21, uh, Jesus is talking with Peter and he's going to, uh, he, he uh, restores Peter to ministry and forgives him for denying him. And then Jesus basically says, this is how you're going to die. You're going to uh, be a martyr, Peter. And then it, it says that um, Peter then looks at another disciple, John, and it says, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? This is John 21. Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Jesus, you've told me that I'm going to do this. Well, what about him? And Jesus is like, who cares about him? You, Andrew, you, insert your name, follow me. But you didn't give enough money to me. And he has more money or he has less money. It doesn't matter. Run your race. Will you be faithful with what God has given you? Um, I hear this lots uh, from people. I've said this lots myself. If I, if I had more money, I would be more generous. Um, no, you wouldn't. If you're not generous with what you already have, you won't magically become generous if God gives you more. But I remember saying that. Man, if God, God, if you would bless me and I would be a millionaire, man, oh man, I'd be generous. And it's like, no, you're not even generous now. So don't think like that, right? Be faithful with, oh man, God, I only have $100 a month. Okay, be faithful with that. God, you've blessed me and I actually have $50,000 a month. Okay, be faithful with it. God gives different amounts to different people. Run your race. Fourthly, um, we are called to use our resources for the kingdom. That's kind of the whole point of the parable is that God has given us everything we have, and the overwhelming theme is, okay, you got to use that for his kingdom. And notice, the first two servants, they went out right away. There's like no delay. It's like they, they immediately went out. Okay, the master's given us money. I'm going to go out, and they double the money. They make more for the, for the master. They advance the master's kingdom. Look, we've, we've used it for you. And the lazy servant just kind of held on to it. Okay, my master gave me this, but it's too risky. I'm going to bury it. I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm just going to hoard it. I'm going to keep it to myself. And he's not commended for that. He's reprimanded. The master says you're slothful and you're wicked for doing that. So listen, it's, it's risky to do things for the kingdom of God. It is. Like, they, they, these servants took risks, well, the first two did at least, to go out, okay, I'm going to use what my master's given me because I love my master and I want to help and, and, and advance his kingdom, grow his kingdom, and it's risky. But risk is at the heart of discipleship, right? We pray often, oh, Lord, keep us safe. There's, no, there's, there's nothing about God keeping you safe, Right? I've had conversations like that where it's, you know, we've used examples of the, you know, missionaries and then they take their family because God calls them to go to a country that's hostile to the gospel with their kids. And then I've talked with people who are like, but what about the command for us to keep our kids safe? It's not in there. God doesn't say, make sure your kids are safe. Right? It's risky. It's, it's risky. Matthew 10, 39, Jesus says it very clearly. Whoever finds his life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's risky. 
But we're called. Use the resources that you have for the master's kingdom. And then lastly, point number five, I think what we do with our money depends on how you view the master. Because notice, I mean, the lazy servant, uh, his view of the master was all wrong. My master's hard, he's cruel, he's merciless, he exploits people, he uses them. It's a, I don't, this servant doesn't even know his master. It's a completely wrong view of who the master is. And notice that a wrong view of the master leads to really bad stewardship. I'm actually, he's, I think he's thrown into hell at the end. Not because of the money. I think he's thrown into hell because he didn't know the master. You don't even know me. You think I'm like this? Uh, your view of God affects how you live. Look at the first two masters, or the first two servants, rather. You can tell they loved their master, right? He, get, he gave them some resources, and what did they do? At once. It's like the idea of, man, they can't wait to get started to work for their master. You can tell, like, these guys, these first two servants, they loved their master. I just want to please him. I'm, gonna go, I'm not going to delay at all. Uh, well, you don't know when the master's coming back. Doesn't matter. I want to do as much as I can. I love my master. And the lazy servant goes, I, don't, I actually don't trust my master. I think he's harsh. I think he's cruel. I think he's merciless. I think he exploits people. He is not a good guy, so I'm just going to hold on to the money. Um, we've talked about this Like every week, your view of God and your view of the gospel will affect your view of money. It will either be a duty or a delight to be generous. And it depends largely on what you think God is like. Notice, like for the first two two servants, did it seem like feet-dragging duty for them to work for their master? No, it it seems like a delight. And, and yet, for the lazy servant, it seems like to serve the master for him, ugh, it was a duty. I have to do what? I'm just going to bury the money. It's easier. What you do with your money uh, depends largely on how you view God. So you can see from this parable, I mean, there's so many layers to it, and I think if, uh, if these principles are true it will, it will sh- begin to shape and change your view of money. If it really is true that Jesus, the master, is coming back, well then, do I really need to hold on to money and possessions when I don't take any of that with me? If, if uh, these points are true, right? If everything that uh, I have is given to me by God, it changes your view of money, right? It's not my paycheck, it's the Lord's paycheck. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to honor him in the bills that I pay, in the taxes that I pay, in the generosity, in the things that I give away? Okay, God, you need to help me. I, I want to be a good servant. If it's true that God gives different amounts to different people, then we don't have to compare. We don't have to go, man, if I just had more money, if I was more wealthy, then I would give more. No, just be faithful with what you have already. Uh, and, and if it's true, well, then you and I, as servants of the master, we're called to, above all, use our resources for his kingdom. And we need to make sure, what is our view of the master? I mean, he seems like a gracious master, right, who gives 
to his servants probably more than they need. Um, We serve a great master, King Jesus, who has given generously to us. And listen, when Jesus returns and he settles accounts with you, your desire shouldn't be to hear him say, okay, wow, wow, you had a really nice house. That's awesome. Uh, You had how many vehicles? Four vehicles? How many times a year did you go on a vacation? We should all desire for the master to say, well done. You have been a good and faithful servant. Come and join me in my joy. That's what we want Jesus to say to each and every one of us. So, Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this great parable um, that really um, speaks to um, our view of money and our resources. Um, God, thank you that you are such a good master that gives so generously to us. Um, God, but forgive, if I'm honest, forgive, forgive me that sometimes I'm like that lazy servant. And I just want to hold on to what you've given me and not do anything with it and not use it for your kingdom because sometimes I think my, my view of you becomes skewed. God, I, I pray that as followers of you that we would think often of your return, Jesus. And actually we're told to, to pray that it would happen soon. <laughs> that Book of Revelation at the very end, it says the spirit and the church cry out, come Lord Jesus. So I I pray that your imminent return would change how we use our money. I pray that um, all of us would understand that everything we have is from you, God. You own all of it. And I pray that that would change how we view our money, right? It's not my paycheck, it's Jesus' paycheck. Okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do with it? God, ultimately, above all, I pray that we would have an accurate view of who you are, that we wouldn't be like the lazy servant who has this view that you're harsh and cruel and merciless, and, and then that, that would then change how we view our money. Help us to have an accurate view, God, of your mercy and grace and kindness towards us, your patience, that that then would turn into a delight in us to serve you to be generous, that it would flow out of a a proper view of who you are, God. Um, God, God, ultimately help it to be our desire to stand before you one day and to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Would that be our motivation as we use our money for your kingdom, Jesus? So you are the one who has to do that work in our hearts, and we ask that you would do so. And so I just pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.